Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the BTCC season so far with the help of Tim Harvey. The British Touring Car Championship is currently in its mid-season break. We've had five rounds and there's five rounds to go, starting with the the Snetterton round on August the 3rd, 4th. So we thought it'd be a good time to have a little look back at the season so far, some of the big talking points and really get a feel for for what's been going on. So we've assembled an all-star cast to offer their expert insights. Uh, First up, we have Matt Q, our our BTCC correspondent for for Autosport. We'd like you back on a podcast yeah, surprisingly thank- quickly. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Last time I was on was to talk about historic racing. We spent a lot of that on a British touring car tangent, so I can't wait to talk about old cars racing in this British touring car championship podcast. Excellent. We look forward to you uh, going off on strange tangents. We've also got Kevin Turner, Autosport Magazine editor and a former BTCC correspondent for, for Autosport. So you've always been close to the BTCC. <laughs> yes, I have. That, that um, laugh close than I would like sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> no, four, four years covering it, but obviously still pay pay a lot of attention. And um, as I was in the same podcast as Matt previously, we could well end up talking about historics again because I, I like old things. 
Well, exactly. As we've got we've got three uh, former auto, well, two former and one current BTCC Autosport correspondent, we thought we'd better have a, a commentator and former champion on Tim Harvey, who whose job now is to talk about the BTCC. So, who oh, better? I thought I was here as the old thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no. you're a historic driver, historic yes, racer. So. Yeah, but it's been an interesting first half of the season, so lots to talk about. Exactly. Well, uh, let's start off with you, with you, Matt. The I mean, the story of the season has been BMW success, really, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They've won nine out of 15 races so far. Brand new car that was built in a real tight schedule. I think they only got the, the go-ahead to introduce the new three series after the Silverstone round last year. And they rolled out the box at Brands with not not a necessarily uh, unimpressive show. And Jordan, Jordan won the second race. But um, since then, it's They've they've absolutely dominated, and it looks like it's WSR, BMW, Jordan, and Turkington's uh, championship to lose from here on out. It's been seriously, seriously impressive. And of course, we shouldn't really be surprised by that. Two high class drivers, WSR, an outstanding team. I mean, Tim, obviously, there's been the, the talk about is that the too big an advantage? So already we're on to 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 that debate. But we should pause to say what a good job they've done with, yeah, it, with the three person absolutely i think that, that, that you're right to sort of to take a check on that because they have done a fantastic job um you know it's got the same engine that they had last year last year they invested a lot in their engine program but that was masked a little bit by the one series which was painfully slow aerodynamically in a straight line but they haven't spent any money on the engine they've just put that into this year's car which has much better aero so that's that's taken away that deficit but they've built a really good car it's a long wheelbase car it has the perfect proportions um for a touring car it, as it as it rolled out when matt said at brands we all just were our jaws just hit the ground because it just looked absolutely right and on circuit it looks right as well and when you go back into the history of West Surrey with the previous three series generation touring cars this has a near identical weight distribution center of pressure etc 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 so a lot of the stuff that they've done before does carry on into this car and it's it's just a perfect car they've built the perfect touring car for the current regs so therefore, it absolutely should be winning, really, shouldn't it? With with what they've what they've got behind it and who they've got in it. Yeah, it should be. You know, you put two champions in a car like that, and yeah, they're going to be up the front. Um, you know, I said at the last meeting, look, it's up for the others to catch up. It's not up to. I don't believe it's up to Toka to slow them down artificially because they're doing a good job. And, you know, you could argue that perhaps, you know, two of the closest cars on speed are the AMD Hondas of, of Rory Butcher, um, you know, which is, is one of the oldest cars on the grid. So if that can be close to the BMW, then everybody needs to lift their game. I think that's, that's sort of one of the problems that you've got in a way because, um, I don't. I think there are weaknesses in pretty much all the other package for one reason or another. So if you look at the top six drivers in terms of wins during the NGTC era, two of them are at BMW at the moment. One of them, Gordon Shedden, isn't in the championship. Another one, Matt Jackson, isn't in it. Um, and that leaves you Jason Plato, who hasn't won for a while, and Matt Neal. So you've already got a lot of the power is in that place. I'd say WSR is one of, if not the best team on the grid as well. And you've got... Rory Butcher, I think he's actually a bit of an underrated driver, but he's not got the experience of fighting for British Touring Car Championships. You know, Dan Camish is still getting up to speed, getting around British Touring Cars. Matt Neal hasn't quite had the pace to fight for the championship for a couple of years now. Ash Sutton, arguably the best driver in the championship, but that the Subaru is a bit, in my opinion, too hamstrung. You look at it through the speed traps and it's just too slow. 
that could probably do with a bit of help because I think Sutton should be somebody who's up at the front. But but all the other packages have got a weakness somewhere or other in the age of the equipment or the driver front. So how much do you try and bring back the best to the next level and how much do you try and help them or wait for the rest to, to get up to that level? You made it very obvious there, Kevin, that you had the stats in front of you when you were reading that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to pretend <laughs> I know this off the top of my head. No, but you are right. I mean, it's a sort of perfect storm. Because, you know, say, had Tom Ingram been having a second year on the back of his last year in the events, who, who's to say he wouldn't be out there winning races and beating the BMWs? But he's got a new car to develop. So automatically, that's sort of taken him out of the frame a little bit. Um, the, the FK8 Hondas of Dynamics have never hit the ground in quite the same way that they projected that it would do over the older car. Um, as you say, Dan Kamish has been coming up to speed. He's, he's been arguably the best front-wheel drive driver in the last two meetings actually um, in terms of points and results but is it, it's not quite enough at the moment to beat the BMWs but it's a perfect storm of other situations as you say no no Gordon Shedden the, the list goes on and, and Ash Sutton particularly he's the most interesting one to talk about as a previous champion but that car is the hardest car to regulate because you know yes it was built to the rules that allowed it to be built but interestingly Toka then said right you can't build any more cars so in effect it's it's actually not eligible now so you couldn't build another one um, so is it eligible or isn't it eligible it does have a massive center of gravity um, benefit you will see that whenever we go to uh, tracks where that's an advantage or in sections of a track like the third sector at Croft the car was the quickest car on the third sector but the slowest on the first one so you he could be in the game if he was allowed to be but he isn't yeah I mean I wouldn't want to be the rule makers I think, yes, I think you would. A, You'd love to be the well. Yeah, okay, I would, but <laughs> but I think it is a it is a, a tough job. And also, I know there was quite a lot of negative comment from certain fans after Colin Turkin to put it on pole on part with full ballast. But actually, if you look historically. Real drive and the BMWs in particular have always been good at Alton Park. Even when they've had pretty dodgy seasons, they've always been strong there. And we've been, they've been sort of slightly unfortunate, if you like, in that we've had Croft and Alton Park, two of the rear-wheel drive circuits, if you like. I mean, I know there was a bit of, bit of all the resurfacing at Croft means it's not rear-wheel drive anymore, but I think that, that got proved to be incorrect. But I think we'll go to Snetterton and Thruxton again, and I suspect that some of the front-wheel drive cars yeah, will Yeah, I think be back the, the, the argument about that was that Alton Park has always been a hard circuit to carry ballast at because of the stop-start. You know, it's the hardest track on brakes. You've got to stop the car for the, for the island hairpin. You've got to stop it again at Nickerbrook. You've got to stop it again at Lodge. Whenever you have to stop and start a car with ballast on, that should slow you down. So it's not that the... the a BMW, a rear-wheel drive car, couldn't be on pole at, um, at all. But it's the fact he did it with full ballast. But that would be where he would do it, I think. I think there, maybe Knockhill, maybe Croft is where Colin would probably fancy his chances of being near the front, even with the weight, I think. Yeah, to add in on his performance at, uh, at Alton Park, first of all, I think you've got to add that Turkington was close to flawless that weekend. His qualifying lap, he was exceptional. So let's not take anything away from him. And two... I, I would also put it to you that the BMW didn't come out of the blocks very well that weekend. I mean, I, I like to, you know, get trackside, watch the cars, their behaviour through the corner. And particularly in first practice, I was out at Druids. And that BMW, it wasn't out all at sea, but it was far from a race car that, that entered entered race one. Because I was watching, you know, it's the same for Jordan as well. 
Whereas someone like Neil or Kamish were taking Druid's one fluid motion, they were the BMW drivers really looked like they had to break it down into the braking phase, taking the apex and then nailing the entry. It didn't look like a smooth car. And so I went and spoke to them and yeah, sure enough, they made comprehensive setup changes. And, uh, and, and you know, Jordan didn't even get to try his until the race after his practice incident with Simpson that pretty much curtailed his running. So the difference from the car that they, you know, that did those first laps to the ones that went into Sunday race day was a big step on. So it's not as if that car is one silver bullet for the whole season. It is still a case of brilliant engineers getting the most out of that, what is an exceptional package. Well, it's Dick Bennett's in his fav- famous clipboard, isn't it? That sort of that. I mean, that that's actually similar to Formula One, isn't it, Ed? Like you're often the, the the big teams or the best teams of resources ever. They're the ones that can, if they've got had a bad Friday, they're the ones that will make the biggest step forward over the Saturday normally. And I yeah, think it's that, can be, know, yeah. It's, it's but the also they've got again, three cars, three so they're cars, getting three lots of drivers. data. And you know, let's not let's not forget Tom Oliphant. He's actually doing a good job up against two of the fastest guys, previous champions. Actually, Tom is is providing good feedback, good data, and he's pretty much on their pace. But coming back to the topic of the the relative performance, Matt, do you do you expect there to be something? Like, it's challenging, isn't it? Because the primary aim of this is to make sure the championship is competitive and there's good variety, and you don't want to hold back the teams who are doing well. But a team doing that well is always going to be in peril, aren't aren't they? And obviously, you've got this difficulty if you're trying to eliminate baked in advance. The old the old rear wheel drive versus front wheel drive has been, you know, that was go that argument was going on in your super touring car. Uh, days to it so yeah it, it that, that's always going to happen because it is different dynamically rear wheel drives always have an advantage off off the line how is this going to be played matt is the overriding thing the fact that bmw and wsr are just doing too well it is multi-layered so you're gonna to have to stop me if i go in but there's go on but there's a lot of points to consider so the british touring car championship is a spectacular championship to watch and part of that is because they introduced measures to bring out performance parity so it is close if you penalise the BMW's engine for being fast in a straight line, then as a knock-on effect, you hurt Stephen Jelly in the 125 because that's the same engine underneath. You have to play it so carefully because the Lavorg is time and time again the prime example of a very quick car, even now with its uh, sort of um, handicap, but it's a very difficult car to race. Because it's so fast through the corners, on a clear qualifying lap, it can still be good. But to bring that performance back, you slow it down in a straight line. But then, if Sutton's in mid-pack, where he can't nail his apex speed and make the most of the advantage that car has, and he's slow on the straights, then we see him qualify 14th if he can't get a clear run, which we've had with all the red flags. So there's the warning to be to sort of heed there that you can't have these great drivers i mean it'd be a travesty now if if toka turn around and go look we bring bmw back and then we don't see turkington and jordan win again for the rest of the season that that would be something that i think would be a real a real shame to see them you know finish off the podium whatever so yeah it's multi-layered and it's a it's it's a very difficult task to get right because you've got to equalise the cars over a whole lap, not just in a straight line, not just through the corners. It's got to be a totally holistic measure and implementing that is massively, massively difficult. Well, which, which is impossible because even even if you could hypothetically exactly equalise lap times, that doesn't factor in how they manage tyres. That doesn't factor in the point you made about you can have a car that the performance profile of it, where it's quick, doesn't work in traffic. You can have ones that are maybe a bit slower, but actually in a race situation are better. So it's... It's it's impossible, isn't it? I'd be absolutely amazed if there wasn't something done 
before the second half of the season, or f- you know, fairly soon. The results Whether probably demand it based on yeah, history, don't I, they? I think that uh, not to the point where the Sunderland BMWs will be uncompetitive. I don't think that would be a, that would be a mistake. But I, I'd be very surprised if there isn't something, whether it's increasing a, a minimum weight or a tweak to the boost. But just for the three series, because I don't think you would want to hurt the one series for, for the reasons we've discussed. Um, so that the wins are a bit more spread around. You know, I don't think Gao and Toka are too worried about who wins the championship. I don't think they get into those sorts of games. I mean, there have been conspiracy theories in the past, but I do think they want to go into a meeting with the fans thinking, oh, I don't know who's going to win this weekend. And at the moment, it's perhaps leaning a little bit too far towards it's probably going to be Andrew or Colin. So I suspect there will be a tweak. So do you think that tweak will be done officially or unofficially? Oh, now, Tim. Well, what do you think? <laughs> no, I asked you. you first. I think given how public it is, I think it's going to have to be something that's we have put, let's say, 30 kilos minimum weight on the BMWs or, or something like that. Just say, like, we've done this. Probably there'll be a few you know, comments from Dick Bennett's team boss. or. or but or you can't put 30 kilos just on the new 3 Series BMW uh, uh, as a penalty for it being a 3 Series BMW. I, I think You'd have to put it on all rear-wheel drive cars, which would hurt the Subaru again. It would hurt Steve and Jelly again, and that wouldn't help. I don't think they would. I think they would say... But they, I'm sure Toker could, cut, could get around it if, if they wanted to, because they don't want to penalise the other cars. It's Jade. I mean, putting more weight on the Subaru, I'd feel pretty yeah. sorry for Ash. Um, they'll do something... Yeah, new, whatever they... However they want to word it, explain uh, it, I, I'm, I'm are, sure there'll there be something. Are there actually any limitations on what they can... Can officially do is, is Alan, there any reason Alan Gow's imagination ones? well exactly because for example as <laughs> Matt said you can't penalise it because it's the engine but obviously you could say well the, the one series is a different car so different you know different rules apply. So how the rules so can, are written well, yeah, that, it is well that, how, it's a case of you know at what point do you just go away from the rule book and say we're not interested in the rule but we're just doing this for entertainment so we're going to slap weight on you you know that that to me, that isn't how the championship should be. Um, and I, I don't think Alan could do that. I, I'm not saying I agree with that, 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 that they should, but I'm just, I'd be very surprised if they don't do something to to bring them back. But just I a, don't think they bit. can do something without affecting everyone else because that's the way the rule's written. And you can't, you can't just throw the rule book away. Well, you might be into your unofficial tweak then, Tim. Yes, that's why I asked <laughs> that that the question. That? Fair enough. I'm sure, of course, there have never been any unofficial tweaks going on, surely. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll be, truth, truth, Matt and I and everyone else will be studying the form in the second half of the year, even if we haven't been told about something, for signs that something might have happened. Well, what we can definitely say they will not win nine of the remaining 15 races. Absolutely not. I'll put money on it. This is the frustrating thing about this, though, isn't it? Because... You have the cha- a championship that's committed to creating that variety and that competitiveness and that kind of thing. And then ev- even if there's not a tweak, there'll be suspicions of, oh, has there been one that's unofficial? I know these things normally uh, normally get out, but it's uh, it's very, very difficult. And I c- you can have a lot of sympathy for a team like WSR that has done a great job. And obviously last season, winning the championship with only one win, they had to absolutely play the game. And it was very difficult. And so it's a stellar job to to do that. And this... This balance of reward, of trying to equalise disadvantages, but also you want to reward jobs well to, done. To and honest, if you've got a great team, if, great if drivers. If you've got a fantastic championship between Andy Jordan and Colin Turkington, does it matter? I, I don't think it does. For me, that's the more interesting story, is how those two are going to play out in the second half of the year. The dynamics between those two are really interesting and where they're at and everything else. Because when the car hit the ground at Brands Hatch, 
everybody felt, and even Colin said, that Andy had clicked with the car a little bit earlier. And Andy did have that initial momentum. He got the first win for the three series, a nice little nice little feather in his cap. You could see that Colin was a little bit rattled. Um, but typical Colin, he gets his head down, he works hard, he works harder than anybody and, and gets gets the job done. And then Andy had that problem, obviously, at Donington, wiped out of the three races, but bounced back with two double wins. But in the meantime, Colin has been working away, and he said something really interesting at Alton Park. He said, there are very, it's very rare, and any driver will tell you this, that the car is perfect. You know, you, there's always something not quite right that you're driving around a handling issue or something. And he, he said this on, on camera, that the car was perfect and he was able to click with it. And when you're in that situation, you, you reach a level that actually is very hard to, to achieve even in any deliberate way. It just happens. And when he's in that sort of position, he's really hard to beat. And that would have rung alarm bells for Andy because he was beaten effectively on, on Colin's pace and click with the car. And Andy's also saying at the same time, this might be my last year in, tour, in BTCC. I'm just going to enjoy the ride. I actually would like to see Andy... You know, almost knuckle down a little bit again and say, hold on, I, let me think about this. I've got probably, you could almost say, a one in two chance of winning this championship because it should be one of the two of us. This is my best chance to nail a championship. I shouldn't be just saying I'm along to enjoy it. I should be actually really knuckling down. And for me, how that dynamic plays out in the second half of the year is almost more interesting than whether BMW are winning all the races or not. Well, that's, that's the big question, I guess, isn't it? Because you, you sort of say, sort of on prior probability, if you like, you'd maybe put Colin Turkington as the guy you'd expect to to win in that battle. So I guess the, the question is, can Andy Jordan, if as Tim suggests, he really puts 100% into it, can he beat an on-song in harness with car Colin Turkington. Well, I'd like to state that I like BMW winning nine of the 15 races because it means when we drive home six hours from Alton Park, there's not much to think about when it comes to writing a report. You know, you don't have to pick out one of three race winners to focus you, you on. Should not be, route you one. should not be typing on your laptop while driving, Matt. I'm a multi-talented, Ed. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, so far in their career, we've never seen Jordan and Turkington properly spar. And even this season, although they've been the leader of the field, they've not necessarily been at the same point on the track at the same time. At, at Thruxton, we had uh, in race two, Turkington was sort of nudging Jordan to let him know he was there, but sort of held his position and uh, was was quite respectful about it. Um, and again, I think the closest we got at Croft was when... Uh, um, Turkington cleared some traffic and sort of tore out of Jordan's lead, but they've never gone wheel to wheel. I think they're both very respectful, I'd say, of one another. They're both clean racers. They're both very talented. Uh, they're not names at the top of the list of who's, you know, uh, most likely to door bang or whatever. So it'd be really interesting to see how they spar off because although it's a horrible cliche, they're, you know, they're proper races. And I think it really sort of cement, it would cement Turkington, you know, if he was to get this fourth title and draw level with Andy Rouse, if he could do it cleanly. But uh, Jordan as well, he's had some rotten luck in recent seasons and, you know, to see him, and if it, it in a bigger picture, it might potentially mean more to him if he can then, uh, although ironically, Turkington became champion and then stepped out of touring cars because he lost RAC. Conversely, if Tur uh, Jordan was to, you know, take this down to the wire, it might, reignite his British touring car career and get a replacement for Piotr and see him continue. So 
that if it's just those two cars on track and they're wheel to wheel for the rest of the season, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. We don't need to touch a thing because that will be the most exciting plot line. Was there a who's going to win in that? Yeah, no, you, just, you just didn't hear it, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly implied. But I mean, that does seem to be what the seasonal stand or fall on at, at the moment, doesn't it? That that battle between those two, which could be, which could be fantastic. I, well, yeah, I think I think I can't really add much more to to Matt's answer other than that. Nobody I think can. Colin will probably win it because, which is no disrespect to Andrew, but I do think Colin is going to be in that conversation now about you know best British touring car drivers because um, he's won it in so many different ways now. Uh, he's got the experience of carrying the boost, you know, rear wheel drive is a bit more at home with. You know, Andrew's had a really rocky path since winning in 2013. Um, and the, I agree with Tim. I think this is probably his best chance to add a second a second title, but he's coming back from that big points deficit. He's still 30-odd points behind, isn't he? 20, what is it? Oh, come on, Matt. You should have this off the top of your head. I suppose I, suppose Kev, I should as well. you are the one, but, um, You are the one with many pieces of paper. So, and... Yeah, but that's just some, 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 something else, which we'll come to hopefully later on. But um, So to take 30-odd points out of Turkington well, is going to be a tough The thing ask, we haven't talked about is luck. The element of luck plays a big yeah. part in this when, you know, if you're down to two drivers going for the championship, luck can take a big part of this. And, and obviously Andy's had his bad luck at Donington. Anything like that happening to Colin would immediately even things up. True. Um, and, Steve Sofer wiped him out, for example. Yeah, well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a low shot. Low that was. Shot. God. Uh, I, I just, I, I just like to say I don't necessarily subscribe to that view yeah. of the incident. So. <laughs> if it was a Vauxhall, it might be different. I, I, um, mer- I merely wanted to illustrate to listeners the kind of thing that can happen. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so say Colin has a. a you know, problem in in the first race anywhere, and that stems him for the next two of the day. You know that that points gap will totally change, and and it and it can so easily be outside of his control. And yes, whilst Colin is the master at consistent finishes, consistent results, sooner or later, you know, there's he's he there's going to be some bad luck. So what you're saying is that we've got Matt Hughes sitting on the fence with a very long answer. Colin Turkinson for me and Andrew Jordan for you. What about you, Ed? You've got the deci- as the chairperson. You've got the deciding vote. Well, you're going to say someone else now. Just no, to no. Well, I, we we will come on to other possible people who could come into it. I mean, I, I think you you have to lean towards Colin Turkinson just based on history. Really, I think Andrew Jordan's a very, very, very good driver, but Turkinson. And, and you presume that, that I was backing Andy Jordan. Actual fact, I'm not. I'm backing Colin. So that's so you're just playing unit. devil's advocate. No, then. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was putting forward the other. Yeah, other but yeah, yeah I, I think Colin will prevail. Well, it's it's a good example, isn't it? If you keep yourself within a certain amount of points, you, you want to be within a, a lucky or an unlucky moments swing, don't you? So that's the that's the main thing. What, what about the other contenders? You know, we've seen various drivers have their moments. Josh Cook's actually third in the championship at the moment. We've seen Rory Butcher have a sort of breakout season, I guess, and really show so he's not too far off. You know, there's a lot of good drivers in the championship. Can anyone actually, assuming all things stay equal in terms of the the car performance, sort of latch onto that fight? The problem is that that for for someone else to to potentially be champion, then both Colin and Andy have got to have problems. It's not like you're just got one ahead and if he has a problem, they can take advantage. You're expecting both the BMs to have a problem, which have is a few, unlikely. Have a few collisions and wipe each other out exactly. a few times. Yeah. It's unlikely that that will happen. Um, they're far too sensible for that, I think, so, so yeah, to wipe each other out. Yeah, they're not going to no, cost... you've done it now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So it's a, it, it depends. 
if there are some adjustments made to the performance of the BMW and if they both have some issues, then yes, there's a chance for someone to drop in. But, you know, other people, you know, Rory's had a lot of pace. Um, Sam Tordoff in the other AMD Honda's had an awful lot of pace, but both have had some reliability issues, which don't seem to be affecting the BMs this year. You know, the other people in order to, to catch up and if it was Ash Sutton, he'd need some performance gain. They've got to have perfect runs with no other problems and expect problems for Colin Andrew. I don't think that'll happen. No, I think I I think Dan Camish is someone that you probably would bring into that as well on the basis that, you know, I think he is I think he has now got the upper hand over Matt Neal. Although every time I say or write that, Matt comes out and blows everyone away at the next event. But um I think, you know, Dan, I think you've made the point, Tim, that he's been kind of the front wheel drive guy for the last couple of meetings at what you might argue a rear-wheel drive track. So when we, if we go to Snetterton, a more more neutral territory, I would, and of course Matt Neal did win there last year, um, I, I would expect, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Camish could string a few wins together, but he's coming from such a long way down. I think you still need, you'd still need the BMWs to have some kind of pretty major, you know, major drama. Although of course Gordon Chen did come from absolutely miles behind, didn't he? He was 50 odd points behind, you know, a few years ago. So it is possible, but um, and I think Camish and, and team dynamics, I, I, yeah, that is a AMD haven't got the experience of fighting for a championship. Whereas if you look at the wins and championships scored over the last few years, it, it largely is WSR or dynamics. So I think you you've got to be looking at those two camps really. It does seem like there's kind of asterisks against all of that group of drivers behind. There's something kind of alluded to before. While WSR has kind of got everything right, you've got kind of the drivers. You know, we know someone like Ash Sutton, Tom Ingram. They can win it, but they're not quite in the right cars. You've got someone like, well, cars aren't quite there at, the, at, at this uh, at this stage. Obviously, Ingram with the new Toyota. You've got Camish still sort of building up that that experience to get to the level we know he know he can do. You know, Tom Chilton, who's always blown a little bit hot and cold. Um, See, so driver started his BTCC career firing you off, didn't he? Yes, he did. Before he had a driving license on the road, totally outrageous behaviour. Yeah, it cost me a podium in two thousand and two, but uh, we've long since uh, moved on from that. But yeah, Tom, you know, he's one of those guys that you know, like in 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 the last race, uh, if he's in the right place at the right time, he can score a win. But can he score consistently? You know, he sort of sneaked up on third place in the championship last year, didn't he? People thought, well, where did that come from? You know, because you don't really think it. But, you know, he, he can get results. But I don't see um, the Motor Base Ford as being a championship challenging car. Is there anyone that's exciting you, Matt, in terms of have, having the potential to have a run? Or do you just think everyone's missing one element of the, of the package? Yeah, I think we're fighting for... for third spot by and large but that that's really exciting because it's very close but in the sense that everyone's got a problem that no one's getting around so if you take the fk8 honda civic type r that car is in its second year now so they've had a year to develop it but it's got such a narrow operating window that no one's getting the best out of it i mean i was speaking to matt neil earlier in the season and he said there was a, a proposal between BTC Racing, who have taken taken the same the same shape of car, and the Team Dynamics factory back squad to sort of data share and get the most out of it. But they've gone on different ways. So you know, some some weekends it looks like BTC Racing's got the most out of the car. Other weekends it's Team Dynamics. So they're they're almost taking. Obviously, you know, it's not some sort of hot fuzz style greater good where they're all working working together. You know, they're, they're, they're rivals, essentially, and it'd be great if BTC Racing could claim the scalp of their factory-backed counterpart. 
But, you know, in a perfect world where everyone got on, they would work together and, you know, maybe close a gap and maximise that car, which is inherently very, very, very fast, but can just fall off the boil every now and again. What I think is exciting is, you know, is the emergence of new drivers. You know, Rory Butcher, Dan Camish, Josh Cook. These guys, it, this is an opportunity for those guys to shine now. Maybe not for wins in the championship, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity the second half of the year for them to really put a stake in the ground and, and show they're established uh, as touring car drivers and worthy of, you know, another year in a, in, in a good car. Um, Rory Butcher is definitely someone that's flown under the radar and been underestimated but he has really grasped that opportunity and run with it with uh, AMD Honda. What, what's the the story with my old friends at Speedworks Motorsport and uh, and the, the new Toyota? Obviously, I'm obliged to ask about them. I have to mention that I got the first pole position for Speedworks Motorsport, admittedly not in BTCC, but when they started as racing. So they I'm said to throw you, that in. They said you crashed their cars so much you almost financially crippled them before they ever got to the British Touring Car Championship, Ed. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> I've, I've got... My, I've got <laughs> I've, I've got no objections to uh, to that characterisation. Yeah, so, I, enthusiastic amateur. That's that's what I was driving beyond your talent. I had. Uh, well, that's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, back on point. Like uh, like Tim said earlier, you know, fundamentally they've they've got one car compared to so BMW and Toyota are the two people who've introduced new cars. BMW have got three drivers, so fundamentally three times as much data. So that you know forty minute. Oh, I made myself do some difficult maths here. That 40-minute practice session then becomes 120, thank you, 120 minutes of data that they get. Uh, multiplying four by three should not stress <laughs> you that much. I got you at A-level maths, so uh, let's let's uh, move on. Um, but yeah, so that car is spectacular to watch the Corolla, but because there's there's something they're still not on top of with the bump and re- rebound settings at the back because it may as well to all intents and purposes be rear driven that you know testament to tom ingram his car control is mega that he keeps it on a straight and narrow but that's all well and good for qualifying lap where you're going all out but i bet it's hideous to, for a, you know a 15 lap race I, i'm glad you've I'm glad you talked about ingram actually because for me he's the most spectacular driver to watch this year i think he's doing an incredible job with that car which as you say is just not sorted you can more than almost any other car to watch i was watching the thrust and chicane and he was having to work so hard he's like he's, he's living on his reflexes which as you say you can do for one lap, hang it out, but to do it across a whole race when you're trying to look after tyres and deal with ballast and all the rest of it, I think um, he's driving a lot better than his championship position would, would suggest, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I can concur with everything you've said, watching the car and watching what he does. Um, you know, the people might struggle to understand why, you know, he can have such a good car in the events this last year and that just doesn't carry on over into the Corolla. But it's such a different car. You know, the overhang's different, the wheelbase is different. Everything's different about it. And so therefore the settings of the old car don't just carry over. An actual fact, you know, and, and I was talking in our previous podcast about how a touring car lives on its dampers and it's because they're all on the same tire and it's just a box, a heavy box that's moving around on its dampers and and working the same tire. And for every little adjustment that Tom has to to make to try and keep that car on the track, he's losing, he's he's moving out wider on the track and stressing the tires in doing it because the car doesn't take a set. And the one thing I talked to Tom about up at Alton Park was what they were going to do in this break. And what they're actually going to do is put the car on a 
four-poster rig to, to better understand the dynamics, frequencies, and movement of the car so they can get some better settings on the car, hopefully at the Snetterton tyre test, two-day test, and, uh, and move forward. It's probably worth mentioning as well that the Avensis was one of the first... NGTC car, so they had it was, the, was the first, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that that and the yeah that and the Audi, I think, were the first two. Well, the, yeah, the event. The event was, was a test car, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think Speedworks first ran. Yeah, yeah. so they the original, the original six test car. years experience with it, and they and in fairness to them, incrementally they've been getting better each year. Tom's been growing up with the team. As, I mean, it's actually a great story, I think, from the last few years of British touring cars, is how that you know a club team and a driver from the support categories has come through and become a, a major contender. But they've definitely taken a step back this year. But I think they probably had to. To then have this deal with Toyota and the new car, and hopefully, you know, if that keeps going, and they'll they'll get there again, but probably too late to put together any kind of championship challenge this year. Mm-hmm. They have won a race at least. That's that's true. Yeah, but that, that was the third race at Donington, yeah. and uh, a little bit lucky. Can we wheel out my third race should be score should score fewer points to Matt Q and see what he thinks? I think you already have. Uh, what do you well, think, Matt Q? Fewer points for that race. No, because then it will keep the championship alive when the two BMWs are winning races. Oh, that's two. a very Alan Gow answer. You'll be Thank welcomed you. <laughs> into the Toker bus at Snetterton. He doesn't yeah, like point, my trousers. The point is that Tom, on a, on pure pace, Tom would never have won a race no. at that stage if it wasn't a reverse grid race with heavier cars and quicker cars behind him. No, exactly, exactly. But I guess it, it sounds like he's doing a very good job with a car that's just not not dialed in so far. So that's. Uh, I guess positive from his his bit. I guess that's a frustrating thing is because you want to see this group of those sort of half dozen really strong drivers all sort of fighting it out, eh? That's that's the the sort of holy grail, isn't it? Absolutely. I know you have personal ties to Speedworks, but I don't. And it's a great shame to see them struggle because, you know, they're the reigning independence champions. They are a crack team. And we can sit here and go, that doesn't look right over the bumps. And they can see that on a TV camera feed as well. And they have the data to work off. But work off but they're still you know it's still getting their head around what this car's but you know the car's behavior and what it's doing that must be you know immensely frustrating to see but you have to hope that in the long run it works out because with them impressing toyota with their performances as an, uh, as an independent they've obviously got this this factory support and they can't be seen to be you know rolling around in a in an old shape car that's not on sale anymore that's counterproductive to you know the business means so you bring in a new car and you have to hope that with the Aventus that they were scratching at smaller and smaller returns whereas now they've got a new car yes they've taken a step back but hopefully there's some nice big sort of ripe low-hanging fruit that they're you know going to pick and get some performance gains and in the long run they will be better off what i find quite interesting what have you got a view on this tim is that up until this year i'd have said the car that you want in NGTC is a, is quite a short, stubby because I think the car of the NGTC regulations has been the Honda Civic yeah. in its various, apart from when they, <laughs> they ran the, the estate, estate. <laughs> mega, <laughs> which was great fun, but no, um, or the BMW One Series, both again short, stubby, but the three series has come along, kind of blown that out of the water. And of course, Toyota have gone the other way, <laughs> Speedworks have gone the other way from. So, do you think there's an inherent advantage in a boot or not? Basically, uh, I think there is probably on a rear-wheel drive car because the the longer the car goes um, if it's front-wheel drive the harder it is actually to generate change of direction Um, you wear the front tires more so for example if that BMW exact same car was front-wheel drive it would not work as well so what I'm saying to you is a shorter hatchback car type car works well for front-wheel drive but it wouldn't work well uh, for rear-wheel drive 
Yeah, I think that BMW is the perfect car because it's uh, it's a four-door. So fundamentally, although it's a longer wheelbase than a one-series, because it's a four-door, it's got less torsional rigidity because there's more bigger holes in it, which means it's sort of it's more compliant through the slow stuff. Because they've gone to a booted car, it means it's it's much more slippery in a straight line. So it's and it's rear wheel drive. It's got a hell of a lot of things going for it. And if you compare it to the Vogue, just the fact that it's a you know it's it's a booted saloon car running in a state. Although the boxer engine of the uh, Vogue uh, wins Subaru back some grounds, it's got less glass high up, so and less metal work. So the center of gravity is probably better. This, I guess when you come into the sort of baked in advantages of the car model and that kind of thing, isn't it? Obviously, back to that uh, debate, which you probably shouldn't want to go down that. Uh... Well, the only thing I'd say is that traditionally, BTCC has encompassed all types of cars, and some have been stronger in some places and some than others, and that's how it's always worked. Um, so I think having variety in it is very important. And, and on that point, I can now bring in the extra bit of paper that I've, I've had sat next what to me. What is on the after, extra bit of paper? Uh, so after the, the, the hoo-ha about Alton Park and BMW and all the rest of it, I thought I'd just, just to see what the NGTC figures have been and what would happen if you removed rear-wheel drive cars from it. Because it wouldn't have been impossible for NGT to say, right, all cars have got to be front-wheel drive. So people who are worried about BMW um, domination at the moment, so if you break down the 225 races we've had since NGTC came in proper in 2012, BMW have won 22% and Honda have won 31%. That's pretty even. That's quite good. If you take BMW out of it, Honda have won almost half of all the races, which I think, A, backs up the point about the Civic and, and Tim's point about the a short, stubby front-wheel drive cars, the ones have. But also, thank goodness that we've had WSR and BMW because with almost half the races in British touring cars won by Hondas that would, and they'd have won all the, almost all the manufacturers' championship and team championship. And this year, if you took the BMWs and Subarus out, the top four drivers would all be Honda drivers. And then I'm sure we'd have people complaining that the Honda was too quick. So I good think balance that, there, Kev. I think, I think the, vari- yeah, exactly, the variety is did, what you um, want. Did Dick Bennett send those figures through? No, to you? I worked those out almost. <laughs> no, there was no Dick Bennett's clipboard uh, in the making of these figures. You don't waste your evenings. <laughs> no, I don't. No, what's, what, what's better than looking at motorsport figures? I don't. I'd say, Kev, your your numbers would have more authority, more authority if you had put them on a clipboard. Oh, you need okay. to work on that. Something you can. I've learn got from. multicolored bits of paper, though. Is that does that get me any points? That that's a a, a printer problem. <laughs> they as you are, well know. They are unfortunately is there BMW any pen involved. There isn't. There isn't. Oh, oh actually. As a, as, a, as a one more big up to a driver no longer in the championship, and I hope Gordon Shedden has a better second half of the season in WTCR, is that without BMW, he would have won 44 races in that period, which is 15 more even than Jason, who would have been Jason Pledge, who would have been second. So that's what Honda is missing at the moment. That, that's what they're missing is the, the, the all-round Sheds package, which hopefully Camish will get to at some point. Do you think that Sheds should come back and Matt Neal should retire, or do you think Sheds should come back and Dan Camish should move on? Oh, no, that's you, an unfair You're not Christmas. allowed to say third car. Well, actually, I was going to say, I think the better combination at the moment would be Sheds in an AMD old-style Civic. Yeah, I think that would yeah. be the thing to, to have. I think if you yeah. had that, I think that the BMWs yeah. wouldn't be running away with it. But I think... Well, you want you want to see the new drivers come through, so you know a shed and camish lineup would be quite exciting. But I don't. I, that's no disrespect to, to Matt. But I mean, as we said we said before, he's, he's he started two thirds of all British touring car races, <laughs> so I think he's probably had a had a fair run. But if I had to pick a combination, yeah, you want you want the younger guys coming. You've through. probably guaranteed Matt Neal a triple at Snetterton now, and uh, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
What about sort of lower down the order? Are there any other interesting stories going on? Obviously, there's been some some interest in uh, ex Formula One driver Mark Blundell coming in. He's uh, enjoying himself, but on a very steep learning curve. Is he? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, Tim, but, is he? No. Tim, Matt, is he enjoying <laughs> himself? No driver likes, you know, rolling around at the back, their teammate up the front. No, no driver getting knocked from pillar to post. No driver likes it at all. It, especially a driver with the pedigree that Mark's got. And. You know, I mean, unfortunately, he just hasn't got to grips with a front-wheel drive uh, touring car with no aero, and it's a and the whole way that the touring car weekend works. And uh, you know, it, it's easy to say, well, the Audi S3 has never done anything, but Jake Hill still gets results and speed out of that car um enough to suggest that mark should be further up at least uh, at least battling with the midfield so uh, it's sad for me to see it actually i really don't appreciate seeing it and you know i know he's doing it because the sponsor wanted him to and you can say well there's no pressure on him but you know it's not uh it's not particularly edifying to see him rolling around at the back but it's tough man i mean you did a, a i mean setting aside the fact mark sort of coming back into full-time racing after a bit of a gap which is always going to be very very difficult but you did a piece recently about the challenge for ex-grand prix drivers coming obviously there's all sorts of big names who've dropped into the championship on occasions johnny herbert turned up as many people will uh, will forget and there's very few if you want to look at ex-grand prix drivers have come in and and done well in in british touring cars in in the past the past few uh, few decades. I didn't realise you'd read it. Was it good? It was very, very good, yeah. No, I think I got you. to the end of it. That's always a good test. <laughs> yeah, the big one that I... And I wasn't doing this to be a devil's advocate, but the biggest F1 star to have parachuted into the British touring cars for a part campaign. And when I wrote this, it was uh, after uh, Thruxton. So Blundell had had three rounds in the British touring car championship, which coincidentally was the same as Mansell. And everyone remembers that amazing uh, race at Donington where he came through, uh, he was leading at some point, then he dropped back on the road to fourth because he cooked his tyres and then he overtook under the safety car and fell back to fifth. And that race was spectacular. It captured hearts and minds and all of that. But no no Formula One driver, no established Formula One driver, let's say, because you can sort of take out, um, you know, Derek Warwick or, um, or Tarquini, but no established Formula One driver has properly nailed British touring cars you know uh, most recently before Mark Blundell it was Martin Donnelly in a very very short-lived infinity back project you know he didn't scratch the surface Johnny Herbert was drawn on reverse grid I think second place then got taken out by Plato but by and large he he wasn't there or thereabouts either it's such a sea change for these drivers to come in and they were they were active, you know. Uh, Herbert at the time was reigning speed car uh, a champion, whereas Blundell to come into a championship where a second can separate nineteen cars, where he's not race fresh, and everything he does know is basically driving these cars in reverse because he's used to rear uh, mid engine rear wheel drive. It's such a massively difficult challenge, and no one likes to see him crying on a bank at Alton, which is you know close to what we got. It's pretty, it's pretty horrible. I think that just tap, tap into a wider motorsport thing as well, which is because we often get a certain generation of reader or motorsport fan writing or emailing to say how yeah it's not like it was when Jim Clark could jump into a Cortina, or a Lotus Thirty, and the, and the Formula One car at the same meeting win all the races, um, and and that but no, but that's because normally he was up against the same people 
they were all doing it and he was the best so he won in a Formula 1 car and he won in specialism isn't it now you've got people who are perhaps 90 let's say 97% towards being what an F1 driver is or 90, 95 whatever but they're specialising their entire career professional focus is on a front wheel drive touring car or an LMP prototype or a GT car whatever it is so even if you are a fraction of a percent better as an overall driver to just drop in they're going to know much more than you do. They are going to beat you. To to beat them, you've got to be as committed. You've got to build up the knowledge. You you know. Well, you can't shortcut the experience. You can't can you? shortcut the. Now, Fernando Alonso is the closest thing we've got to it, but he's got the the. Okay, so he's one of the best drivers I think's probably ever lived. Certainly one of the best in the world now, um, and he's he's made a success of some of that, um, partly because simulation tools and the way that he works, but also in World Endurance Championship, he only had to beat one other car and he's got two co-drivers. So I'm not trying to belittle what he's done, but that's not the same as coming into a 20-minute sprint format in a touring car. Um, so I think it's easy to underestimate how difficult it is. But it's against it's the, the nature of the specialism, isn't it? Because you could take someone who's brilliant in the BTCC, fling them into the DTM, and it'll be a struggle. We see this all the time. You can't you, the, the the eras of these drivers who can hop between things is gone. Not because of the drivers, but because of how good. The, the specialists are, which is for the better, really, isn't it? Well, and Andy Prio, he was brilliant in touring cars. Has you know done very well in GTE Pro. Gone back to touring cars with the uh, with the Lincoln Co project, and uh, you know he's he's not the team leader in that scenario either. Just having that brief bit of time out, let alone if it's something completely. Well, actually, alien. Andy struggled in DTM. He struggled massively in DTM, and he went there at the peak of his touring car ability. There were just so many. Very, very, very good racing drivers all over the world in different categories. You, know, you could probably dip into a championship that you hardly heard of and there'd be some people at the front that are really good. Exactly. Well, and also every type of car, category of cars, it's only esoteric challenges and the knowledge. I mean, you think about the just even the, the just the knowledge of the detail of the tracks. So not talking about chat knowledge isn't knowing which way the track goes, but the tricks, the where the grip is in the wet, how much less grippy it is first thing in the morning on some tracks than it is on others and all these little things just add up and, and, and multiply don't they it's just just the nature of it I think you said he hadn't raced at Alton in what since he was 18 or something like that so mm, but you know, and again, he's forgotten a British GT outing had he done a British GT was that? outing well, I have to check to, that. To be honest, that that knowing the circuit thing, it's it doesn't take anything. You know, he, a driver like that would learn the circuit, or he knows where it goes anyway. Oh, I mean, the tricks, because um, there yeah. are there are some tracks do have. There are tricks in a touring car that certainly Mark won't have ever used before in terms of how to ride curbs and things like that. That, that, that those are the sort of tricks. But the actual line around the track, not a problem really for him. But uh, I think he's he was always on a hiding to nothing. His all of his experience actually almost counted against him because a driver has a certain instinct and seat of the pants and reaction to inputs. And, you know, I mean, I'll make a contrast, if you like, that when Dan Kamish got in a, an NGTC car, he was quick straight away because he said, I don't know what it should feel like. And, you know, and I've got nothing to compare it with. And so for me, I just drive it as it is. I couldn't tell you whether it needs this or that or the other, but I've got nothing to undermine what I, what I feel. Whereas Mark has got a whole lifetime's experience and instinct, which, and seat of the pants, which is telling him actually all the wrong things for what you need to drive a, a front wheel drive touring car. So it's actually working against him. No, exactly, and it's it's easy with big name drivers when they struggle to 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 criticise. But yeah, that's a that's a tough ask, a tough ask for him. And 
hopefully uh, get better with experience. Anyone else, Matt, worth uh, worth talking about? Obviously, it's a very well populated championship. Pack grids, thirty odd cars. Yeah, I think we've touched on a few names that you know it's worth drawing attention to. Oliphant, or Tom Oliphant, is the third WSR driver, and obviously he's not hit the sort of the heights of uh, Jordan and Turkington, but I think he's done a very respectable job, especially after uh, I, I was told uh, uh, that when he came into touring cars, he was told basically to delay coming in a year. So he didn't have to go from Ginetta rear wheel drive to Mercedes front wheel drive and then back to rear wheel drive. But he did do that. So maybe, you know, he's learned some things that haven't necessarily helped him coming into this season. But if you bear all that in mind, he's done very well. Adam Morgan, I would put in the same camp as someone like a Tom Chilton who just isn't getting the headline results but relentlessly scores points and is always there or thereabouts, particularly in that A-class, which hasn't received anything like the development of the other cars. I was, again, trackside at uh, Alton Park, watching it come out of the crest. It looked like it was about to do a wheelie. It was so softly sprung. Well, he's one of those drivers that Tim talks about. Who you, you, he's prob- It's hard to see him coming out and being on... I mean, he has had a pole, hasn't he? But coming out and winning one of the first two races of the weekend. But if he's on the front row of the third race, you think... He, he could close this out. He's more than capable of doing that. So he's he's definitely in that kind of almost second tier of very good, but probably not quite championship contending type. Is that is that? Yeah, that absolutely. And there'll be meetings where he'll score sort of three good results. And you look at the to- the total points accrued in the weekend, and you suddenly think, oh, how did he do that? Well, that because good. he wasn't, you know, he wasn't. He was only on the podium once or something, you know. And he suddenly realised he's actually scored a lot of points. But in terms of blitzing a race one or race two you don't sort of really see that coming do you i mean for me the 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 two outstanding drivers really that have, that we've talked about are rory butcher and jake hill for me they're the two guys that have really surprised us and delivered this year yeah maybe we do keep talking about rory and amd so maybe we should sort of delve into them a little bit more um, and one of the people I like to praise is a driver who's not on a grid. I think the relationship, Mike Bushell, yeah, that has, he's, you know, he... So he's engineering him, isn't he? Yeah, he's really unfortunate. He missed out uh, for various reasons at sort of the 11th hour of getting his seat on the touring car grid. And he's a shameless role as uh, Rory's race engineer. And, the you know, the partnership they have, I think, has yielded a lot of these results. And Rory has been fantastic. You know, it was a very unfortunate qualifying shunt in a massively truncated uh, session at, um, at Croft, which meant he was, you know, before that before that round, he was joint points leader. So he has fallen back a bit since then. But he's been excellent in, in an old car, which is still a fantastically competitive car. But, you know, the fact that AMD can come out and you know uh holding a candle to these works guys is an incredible incredible story and yeah uh, mike bushell deserves you know almost as much credit as rory butcher for how how that pairing is delivering mac you you're i know you obviously you spend a lot of time studying us so so who are your official uh stars of the season are you, are you going straight for the wsr drivers so far yeah turkington and jordan no question rory camish and Josh Kirk, not you know, it's pretty much just talking about the top five in in the points, but they they have been the the pick for me. 
Any objections? Absolutely. No, absolutely nailed all the names I had in my head as they came out of your mouth. So, yeah, totally agree. I, I am going to have to throw, I know we've mentioned him already, but I'm going to have to throw in Ash Sutton because I do think he's doing a mega job in that car. And he's, he's one of the people you want to see as well because something he, he's, he, he makes things happen for himself. I mean, the passing manoeuvres he pulls off, Tim, most of the time they're clean as well. I know he's had well, a couple of... At Alton but, Park, he was amazing because he was doing some last-minute cutbacks into the island hairpin when the driver in front had absolutely no clue it was coming. And he didn't just stick his nose in. He got alongside and claimed the corner but held the apex. They were amazing passes. The pass he was trying to pull on Cascades uh, on Adam Morgan when he clipped the back of him. You know, these are, these are moves that are born out of having a slow car in a straight line and having to maximise the, the, the advantages the car's got and make passes in different places and unconventional. And, and Ash absolutely is the only guy that can do it. He is, he is amazing. Yeah, and he, we, it's such a shame he's not in a, if you like, shall we say, a conventional front-running car because I think he would be amazing. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think. Oh, his judgment is. I know. Obviously, there was the cascades thing, but normally it's 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 the timing, isn't it? It's it's uh, the the person ahead is now past that point. They're not looking in the mirrors. They're sitting there, and now I'm now yeah. I'm in the gap. So yeah. that by the time they turn in, ah. Yeah. Oh. But usually, as a driver, by the time you've got to that point, it's actually too late to do anything. Yeah, but he, he's still he's doing there anyway. It. <laughs> Well, unless there's any other business uh, anyone would like to raise, I think we've set up the second half of the season very nicely. Oh, Kevin Turner's waving his fist. No, I was just going to add that um, for the 2020 calendar, because um, one of my little frustrations about British Touring Cars over the years has been the calendar's been the same all the time. And actually, that's one of its strengths as well. I realise that. But I, I like the fact that it's going to go to two different Silverstones uh, next year. I think that's a, a nice way of mixing up. A lot of people have said, oh, let's get on the Grand Prix trap. But I mean, I can see why they why they don't do that. So having one on the national, one on the international, I think is quite a nice, quite a nice way of just mixing up a little bit without taking too much of a risk. Yep, definitely agree. I'm not quite sure how the paddock's going to work in terms of um, whether the support races will be split into the old paddock, which would, which would go against what BTCC is all about. But the racing purely on the international, I think will be great. Yeah, that's very, very true. Obviously, being a confined championship, there's only so many uh, circuits you can get to. Can't just add Bathurst, unfortunately. That would be, be good. <laughs> no, and also it's important to say that in, in the coming days, possibly weeks of recording this, that we're get quite a big sea change with the announcement of who's won the uh, hybrid tender and how that will be implemented and sort of British touring cars looking looking towards the future and trying to become the first major tin top to introduce some sort of uh, electrical assisted powertrain. Yeah, always important to uh, bring in that some some of that technology. So I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that on a on a future podcast. Well, thanks very much, Tim Harvey, Kevin Turner, and Matt Q. If you enjoyed listening to Tim Harvey, he's obviously on the ITV four coverage of the the championship, and that's available on ITV.com as well. And obviously, Matt Q's fantastic reports and uh, analysis you can read on autosport.com and autosport magazine so thanks very much um, yeah do check out autosport.com for the latest on F1 and the rest of the world of motorsport and as I mentioned autosport magazine's out every Thursday uh, check out sister titles motorsport.com F1 racing magazine out monthly and motorsport news out every Wednesday and please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already it's available free out every Monday and Thursday thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast <laughs>
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, you can get boosted deposits by 57% up to $1,000 on the Gambit DC app and up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost at Gambit DC retail locations. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the home field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.